a story that I think about from time to time, and maybe it's a story that you'll be familiar with too. It's the story of a wise man living in northern China, and one day, for no apparent reason, his horse ran away. And people in the community started to console him and you know, say to him, oh, that's so sad that your horse ran away. And he said to them, what makes you so sure that it isn't a good thing that my horse ran away? And then some months later, the horse returns and brings with him a wild stallion. And everybody congratulates the man, hashtag blessed, like your horse and this wild stallion is back. And he says to everybody, well, what makes you so sure that this now is a good thing? And then the wise man's son is really into riding this, this wild stallion. And one day the wild stallion bucks his son off and his son breaks his hip and can no longer walk. And so, again, the community around starts consoling him, and he says, what makes you so sure that this isn't a blessing? And then, sometime later, nomads from across the northern border invade their land, and every able-bodied man is called to go and defend the country. And the community ends up losing nine out of ten Men, But because the man's son couldn't even walk, he was allowed to stay home and care for his aging father. So perhaps you've heard that story or, or a similar type of a story, but it illustrates how we often don't know whether something will prove to be a blessing or a curse, whether something is like so-called good luck or so-called bad luck, often we just don't know. We, we don't have eyes to see. And scripture goes even further to say that what we sometimes consider to be a blessing in God's economy, in the things that God cares about, sometimes those things that we think are such a blessing lead to things like pride or arrogance. And, and conversely, sometimes things that are in our eyes, like just so very terrible, lead to things like humility and empathy and compassion, things that, that are character traits that, that God cares so very much about and are developing. And that's why in our scripture passage that we're looking at this whole month where we're looking at a hidden wholeness, Paul can say these words, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So this morning, we are going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about cliches. We're going to talk about a nightmare and the wrong side of the door. So let's start first with cliches. Uh, Paul says these words, therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And we talked about that last week. You are wasting away. When things in your life seem to be wasting away, 
Like when you are standing just face to face with your limits, with losses, very often what compounds that or makes that even more difficult is all the cliches that people say or that, you know, I walk into Target and I hear screaming at me through the decor. I mean, I can get the pillow, the mug, the wall plaque that tells me everything happens for a reason. And sometimes those things just compound our pain. It's like our culture is screaming at us, like there is a self-help formula to get you through this difficult moment. All of it is, is somehow meant to, to help us frame a limit or frame a difficulty or frame a, a loss, sometimes a very significant loss, in, in sort of a self-helpy, like there, there's you know, some good in this kind of through line. Let me just, you know, help you put a bow on it. Now, in her recent book, No Cure for Being Human, author Kate Bowler, who uh, is a professor at Duke Divinity School, uh, who also was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer at age 35, uh, she talks about these cliches in the appendix of her book. She talks about things that people said to her and she heard the culture at large screaming back to her when she was really given like very little time to live at age 35 with a little, um, as, a, as a young mom with a, a I think two-year-old maybe at the time. Um, she provides this list and I thought this was very fascinating. She kind of puts it as like things people say, so cliches, and then the more complicated truth. So things people say are things like this. You know, she's just been diagnosed and a nurse says to her, make a bucket list. Make a bucket list. Like all the things you want to do before you die. And she says, you know, the more complicated truth is a life is never finished even when it's over. Another thing people will say is carpe diem, you know, seize the day. And she's like, I mean, yes, unless you need a nap. Everything happens for a reason. Truth is, we must learn to face uncertainty with courage. Let go and let God. She says, <laughs> truth is, God loves you, but won't do your taxes. Or how about this one? Be present. She says, truth is, we toggle between the past, present, and future for good reasons. No regrets. And facing the past is of facing the future. Make every minute count. Life is unpredictable. You're a person, not a certified accountant. Everyone is doing their best. Well, that jury is still out on that. <laughs> Nothing is wasted. She says, truth is, we lose every day which is why we will never have enough endless love friends and cards. <laughs> Everything is possible. Ask instead, what is possible today? You are invincible. <laughs> Sorry, there is no cure for being human. I appreciated this list so very much because I think we all want so very badly to live in a world where God's ways are always like immediately discernible to us. 
that we can see, that we can know. We want so badly to be able to say and to declare in every situation, hashtag blessed. Like whenever good fortune comes, we want to be able to say, this is God's blessing. And whenever something bad happens, we want to be able to say, like, this is, this is evil, this is bad, this is, you know, we want to be able to see and discern every single thing. But that is not a robust enough theology of suffering to jive with what we see in scripture, to jive with who we follow, a suffering savior, and to jive with what we just actually experience in real life. So our passage says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What in the world does that mean? And this is where we need to talk about nightmares for just a minute. Uh, A woman named Marilyn McCord Adams, she died in 2017, but she was an Episcopal priest. She was a philosophy professor at Yale, and she did this study of female Christian mystics in the Middle Ages, and she distilled their teaching uh, down to some really remarkable teachings about suffering. And this is what she said. She said, the Stoics would say this, accept suffering. Keep a stiff upper lip about it. Like, grin and bear it. Accept suffering. That's what the Stoics said. She said the Epicureans said, avoid suffering. Keep it at arm's length. Avoid suffering. The masochists said, embrace suffering for its own sake. But the gospel does not accept suffering. It does not avoid suffering. It does not embrace suffering for suffering's own sake. It engulfs suffering. And here is why. It's because Christian hope is not just heaven. Like if Christian hope is just heaven, then it's almost like heaven is this compensation or payment for the suffering and evil of this world. That's not actually Christian hope. That's not the story we live in. Like, if heaven is our hope, then, and and that's it. Like, it's just compensation for all of the losses now. That's one thing, but that's not actually the story. If the new heavens and the new earth is our hope, and it is, it's not just compensation for what we've lost. It's restoration of the life and the world we've always wanted. And that changes everything in regards to suffering. And here's why. Like, imagine for a minute if you had just a terrible nightmare and everybody who you dearly love died in the nightmare. Just imagine that you woke up from that nightmare and you were like, they're still here. Okay, in that moment, right after the nightmare, you're sweating your heart is racing. You have thought, you, d- you just thought you lost them all and you suddenly realize you have them back. You most certainly would have loved them before that nightmare, right? But not like you love them in those moments after the nightmare. It's almost like the moments after the nightmare when you think all you had, all you love was lost. 
and then suddenly you have them back. Like there's a glory in that moment that far outweighs the moments just a few hours ago when you were falling asleep. And the point is kind of that, like to think of it that way, like the joy of finding them is not the joy in that moment after the nightmare of finding them is not a joy in spite of the nightmare. It's actually a joy that's enhanced by the nightmare. It's because of the nightmare that your joy is like 10 times, 100 times that what it was when you were falling asleep. It'd be like the nightmare itself is taken up into the joy of they're, they're alive, like I have them back in my arms. So the nightmare actually made the joy of that moment greater. If heaven is just like a compensation for all the things we've lost, all the things that you wanted and never had, or you know, it's just a compensation for all the things you suffer now, that's one thing. But if the new heavens and the new earth are our hope, and they are, then we actually have this restoration of everything that's broken and is breaking. Like the new heavens and the new earth engulf every sorrow, engulf every suffering into a future joy that is actually intensified, magnified because of the nightmare of suffering now. And that is like, it's the ultimate defeat of evil. Because the promise of scripture, the bigger story of Christian hope, is that in the end, you will not just be compensated for the evil and suffering you've endured, but the evil and the suffering you endure will actually become like the servant of your joy. Our momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, so we're fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. So this is like, it's like an astounding teaching of the scriptures. All the great people of history have, they've taken it in. They've wrapped themselves up in it. They've understood it, that they're, you know, we're fixing our eyes on a reality. And that fixing of our eyes on what, who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished is pulverizing our despair. It's pulverizing all of our discouragements because we're fixing our eyes. We're not, we're not just accepting suffering because we know God never wanted this. This was not the perfect garden that he created. It wasn't his original plan. We certainly don't just avoid suffering because like we talked about last week, love always means to be vulnerable. There is no love without suffering. They go hand in hand. So we don't avoid suffering because we're following in the crucified Christ. We're following in the way of a suffering Savior. So we don't avoid it. We don't accept it. We know that God can use it, that Jesus himself suffered greatly. We're also not like masochists where we're like embracing suffering for suffering's sake. We realize suffering and evil is a result of living in a fallen world. It's not the way it's supposed to be. God didn't want this to happen. But we also fix our eyes on Jesus, and we see how God has made a way in Christ that even evil will become the eventual servant of our joy. 
it's like a glorious mystery. I mean, there's, I feel there's no way I could put it into words. It's almost like I just pray, Holy Spirit, will you illuminate our eyes to this? Will you help us to see this? Would you help us to see our lives this way? Would you help us see your eternal claims? And then lastly, just to wrap up, the wrong side of the door. You know, a couple weeks ago, Tim talked about J.R.R. Tolkien and one of his famous stories. Do you know Tolkien himself suffered incredibly? He lost his father at age four. He lost his mother at age 12. All of his best friends, except one, died in World War I by by the time he was 25. And do you know how he handled all that suffering? He wrote stories. They weren't Christian per se, but they're like infused with this deep hope. It was a hope that he called a hope beyond the walls of this world. A hope so sweet, so great, that it was a balm in a world in which everything is wearing out. And people have flocked to his stories. Because the truth is there is no remedy within the walls of this world for the suffering that we face. Like, despite the multi-billion dollar wellness industry, there is no actual serum for my face or green juice or special yoga that can basically stop the fact that I am fine. There's no stopping that reality. The remedy comes from outside of this world. C.S. Lewis said, at present, we are on the wrong side of the door. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are wrestling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get home. So we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes on this. And even that which presses in cannot crush. Even when we are so perplexed, we're not abandoned. Even now, we're not abandoned. And all of that is true because the life of Christ makes it so. Let's pray together as we close. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes, would you illuminate our hearts to see what you see? Would you help us to sing like the psalmist prayed, even when I am in the valley of the shadow of death, even there, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your right hand guides me, holds me fast. God, we pray that we might see as you see. We love you. We thank you for Christ, and we thank you for the communion table now. In Jesus' name, amen.